Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the BMcast. Not a podcast as slow as the bolt, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the cosmic imposter herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am doing well. I've had a bit of a quiet week to be honest, because I've had a week off from my day-to-day job, so yes. which has been quite nice. So naturally, I haven't been able to do a lot because England's in like a massive lockdown. So I spent mm. most of the time just chilling out and sleeping and been nice to take the form of a bear for once. Nice. Just just have some nap time. In terms of magic, I haven't done a lot because I just kind of wanted to chill out and, you know, not really think about anything. I did mm. sort out my collection a little bit because I am building Safi and Hands at EDH. So I'm oh, clearing yeah. out some old stuff so I can get the newer stuff. So... That's like two thirds of the way done now, so I'm quite excited to get that done and get that going because it's it's kind of Christmassy themed and a bit blingy and a bit you know it's got budget bling, which is something I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Nice. And I'm excited to give it a whirl. Otherwise, yeah. in terms of content, I did a budget guide on is it gift storm and twiddle storm in modern. It's already Ooh. pre-budget, as we both know, and I know you're a big fan of those two decks. Mm-hmm. I'm um, speaking my language right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great entry, and I covered through some like tips and tricks, some little upgrades, and just to build your mana base to make it boil-proof, because boil's like, pretty popular at the moment. Mm. So yeah, that's up now on TCG Player, so feel free to check that out. How about you, mm. Scott? How are you doing? Uh, I've been okay, I guess. I've been trying really, really hard not to watch the daily... Covid figures skyrocketing in Ireland, to be honest. But uh, no, I'm not going to dwell on that. I've I've had enough breakdowns over the last few days. Yeah. <laughs> but I have been playing more uh, Dead Cells, Ooh. which is fast becoming my new Hades. Uh, in the sense that you know it's the kind of game where you can pick it up and you can drop 20 minutes into it, or you can go on an eight-hour binge and get like 10 runs in and that kind of thing. So it's very similar in the whole run process as well. You know, you start with a random weapon, you get power-ups as you go, and so on and so forth it's really really fun really good but i've also been working on my pixel art honestly not really as much as i should be but i've been trying it's a hard time these these days so but i do have a small drawing tablet on the way it should be here hopefully in the next couple of weeks i'll be definitely hyped up to do some more when that finally arrives so i look forward to that i still actually have a very very long way to go to actually be good at pixel art in the first place but at the very least, I've now made my own hashtag on Twitter so I can keep track of everything. And it feels like I've committed to it if I've put it out publicly. Yes. Look on it. Now, I ha- now I have to put up more and show more of what I've done to prove that I'm actually doing it, you know. So, yeah. If anybody wants to see how badly I am actually doing with the pixel art and stuff, I have got the hashtag. It is Scott's Tiny Squares. That's so, great. <laughs> yeah. uh, in terms of magic, though, I have just completed my latest popper deck, as I was talking about last week, Cycling Storm. It is so much fun. I cannot wait to bore my friends over webcam with it. I've been goldfishing this like crazy and it's been so much fun. It's just, it's just cycling. You just cycle and then cast an unearth or two and then just cycle like crazy and win the game. If anything, right, that's a great like webcam pauper deck because you're just goldfishing. Oh yeah, it's like, it's like the ideal deck for, for the kind of environment that we're in at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Some say the perfect deck. Mm. some is just me let's be real like the perfect storm (laughs) yeah well perfect storm to me would be twiddle storm in my my own personal opinion i have a very soft spot not the legacy version just this just this modern twiddle version yeah that's it yeah honestly i haven't really been doing a whole lot other than keeping my eyes on the calheim preview season because i gotta say something about this as well as cringe and as cheese as the whole metal thing has been I kind of love it because I enjoy it. 
that's kind of how metal is in general you know like there there is that whole subsection of metal that takes itself too seriously and all that kind of stuff and that's not really what metal is about it's all just about enjoying what you're doing and like just having strong feelings for things and and that's that's good having that passion and i gotta say seeing jimmy wong doing the air guitar on the on the release event good. like that was that was 10 out of 10 like apparently leanne we were watching it together and she was like she was curling up inside she was inverting practically on the couch you know and i was just sitting there reveling in it she was like how the hell are you watching this i'm like i i, I grew up with this kind of thing like mm. what are you talking about <laughs> it's been great i've been really loving it yeah it's like when what's did the week of metal thing and then mastodon mm. like one of the bands that i listened to just got some preview cards i'm like wait what 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 timeline is this like would never anticipate yeah. just seeing like metal bands come together in preview. Even like Lacuna Coil had their secret layers, which mm-hmm. are also metal themed. It's just like, what, what's going on? This is great. Like, I'm not complaining. It's just I never would have put the two together. I think what's happened is Watsy have put the two together because they've realized that there are demographics that can hit with things like the standard sets and secret layers mm. if they just make them a little more particularly themed. Yeah. Which I'm definitely not complaining. It's pretty cool. But yeah. yes. In fact, speaking of Caltime preview season... I also have this week's article on Card Kingdom. It's about five commons that we've already seen from preview season, even though at the time of recording this, we're only about halfway through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the power level of the commons have been really impressive so far. You know, like I know that Tron and Fall from Favor are currently off having a field day, taking mm-hmm. poos all over the format, <laughs> yes. you know, but it's not going to stop me from being excited about these cool cards because, you know, it's weird. With the people that I play with, we almost have an unwritten rule where we're not going to play Tron. So we kind of don't really have to worry about it. And no one has really bothered updating their power decks to add Fall from Favor yet. So <laughs> that's good. It's, it's still kind of just fine, really, you know. But speaking of preview cards as well, a nice little segue on into what we're actually talking about today. And that is the Caltime Previews thus far. So we're recording this on the 10th, the Sunday. So by the time you hear this, it'll be the Thursday. So yes. We will be missing some of the cards in between recording and release of the episode, but we'll cover them next week. So it'll all be good. We'll get there. So I think the set looks pretty good so far. It's not really super pushed or anything, but it looks great. Mm. Yeah. So I'm quite excited for Caldheim because I'm a big fan of like Norse mythology, which is the backdrop Mm -hmm. for the set. So it's been kind of interesting just to see these these characters in the set and trying to associate them with the law, like the mythology law. It's been quite mm-hmm. fun. And it's it's snowy, it's cold. I like the snow on the cold, so it kind of all ties in <laughs> together for me. And yeah, like the cards seem really, really sweet. It just seems like there's nothing that's like inherently busted yet, which we're kind of used to seeing. Which is kind of mm-hmm. nice. I know I might be tempting fate here because when this comes out on Thursday, it might be poorly timed. <laughs> and so be it. We, we might just look like fools yes. at that point. Um, hopefully not. It's like the cards are good and the cards are powerful, but it's nothing that's mm. going to like break the respective formats in half or we have like an Uro or an Oko problem, which is really refreshing. Yeah, it's, it's nice looking at a previous season and not having that sense of dread when you see a card and go... <laughs> No! And the horrible, horrible Magic <laughs> Arena animation. I'm looking at you, Uro. No, I don't want that anymore. No. <laughs> it's a bad look, Uro. Stop doing it. Yeah. But yeah, so what we're going to do today is we're basically just going to talk about some of the cards that have sort of stood out to us so far. And, well, I mean, we can't start anywhere other than the pathway cycle is being completed. We've I'm, talked so much about these cards. I'm so happy that they're being completed. Yeah. I was very concerned when Zendikar Rising came out. It was like, oh, gee, is this another incomplete cycle for Pioneer? Dot, dot, dot. 
Mm. But no, Morrow was very kindly to say, oh, I know that the rest are coming in Kaldheim. And there's four of them left. So in Kaldheim, you're going to have the Golgari, Azorius, Rakdos and Simic versions coming. So you'll have a complete set. Mm. It's going to be great. And they all look really pretty. And if you listen to this podcast, we're very big fans of the lands and you should probably pick them up because they will see play in Pioneer and Standard and sometimes Modern as well. Yeah. To be honest, I wouldn't necessarily be in a huge rush to get them because as the other pathways have shown that they haven't really skyrocketed or anything, you know, they're sitting at Mm -hmm. a nice sort of reasonable price at the moment. So, you know, don't feel pressured to go and get them ASAP, but get them when you can. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. They're, they're fantastic. I think, I think the Simic one is probably going to be the most expensive one just because of how good Simic cards are in general. And just looking at the price of breeding pool, which is probably the most expensive shop at the moment. Mm. Otherwise, yeah, these are great. And I'm excited to pick these up for Commander as well because they're just really good in that format too. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of lands, there is another one that is very unusual and I've got an awful lot to say about them. There are tap lands are common in this set. Mm. not only are they just tap lands that are you know two colors they tap for two different colors but they're also snow lands and on top of that they have basic land typing as well Crazy. <laughs> this is insane like yeah. if you had to go and pick up play sets of common lands these are the ones to pick up yeah. these are crazy well first of all in in budget decks they're good because if you have a couple of fetches or whatever, like just say you happen to open a couple in some like master set or something years ago and you just have a few fetches or whatever, they're nice little replacements for shocks, particularly in decks that run things that care about snow permanents, like say Ice Fang Quaddle or Scred and that kind of thing. And, you know, they're perfectly fine to fetch up on turn one if you're not really going to be doing anything with it or, you know, say you're holding up a mana leak on turn three, you don't need three mana so you can go fetch a tap land at that point and that kind of thing. So... They're good for for modern for that kind of thing. They also add additional different lands to your mana base for things like Field of the Dead in modern as well. Popper has a lot of different places that can make use of this. Mm. I do cover this in my article this week, but there are so many different places that will want at least at least one or two of these. Yeah. You know, like I see you have written down here, Emma, the Is It Fairies decks that mm. run Scred and that kind of thing. They currently run Evolving Wilds, Terramorphic Expanse, Ash Barons, that kind of thing, in order to fix their mana mm. because they don't want to play any of the current tap lands because they're not snow permanents. They don't power up Scred. But these do. So now we can put a little less emphasis on those kind of ways of fixing and just slightly improve the mana base overall. Now, I know they're still going to retain some of them because they do lean on Brainstorm reasonably heavily, but they're definitely going to put in like maybe two of these and that kind of thing. Yeah, I can't see even in like modern, for example, I can't see many decks running the whole four just because it mm. can be cumbersome. If we're talking about like optimal decks, yeah. I can see this replacing some of the triomes and like some of the free color pile decks, especially yeah. the ones that already run like Ice Fan Quattle, as you said. And also a good thing to note, due to the fact they have this subtyping, it goes really well with the checklands in Pioneer and Modern as well, which from mm-hmm. a budget outlook is really good. So yeah, even though this comes in and tapped, you can still have like a, say for example, have like an isolated chapel and it checks it because it's a plane so it can come in untapped. It's just, yeah. if you're if you're building a budget mana base, it's something to keep an eye out for. But yeah, these are fantastic. And another thing as well, before Watsy were like, the lands have to be a rare to get that typing, like traditionally mm-hmm. speaking. But this yeah. is like the first time commons have ever had that typing, which says to me, 
we're going to get some really good budget land bases in the future and this is like the start of it so i'm quite excited to see where this goes yep here's to hoping for mm. sure there is one other little thing that's worth pointing out about these particularly with popper and that is there are a number of cards that can actually go fetch these i've done my search so into the north yeah. is rampant growth except you search for a snowland this is technically better nearly than rampant growth because instead of just getting a basic, you can just get a dual land instead, mm. which is incredible. Same with like Farseek, but one that is really big and I think is going to be pretty impressive is Monvuli Acid Moss. Yes. Can fetch one of these as long as it says forest, you know, so any of the yeah. forest ones. But that's very, very good. And you could also put a Utopia Sprawl onto any of the forest ones as well. So there's Gruel Ponza in Pauper at the moment is a definite known quantity and is actually pretty reasonable at the moment. Mm. So I would not be surprised to see at least a couple of these making their way into there because they run the Arbor Elf and Utopia Sprawl and the Movili Acid Moss. And it's basically the perfect spot for them, I think. Yeah, looking forward to them. Yeah. Um, also, Into the North, I've noticed, has gone up in price as well just because oh, of yeah. the spike. The snow's back. Another thing to keep an eye out on, I put it on my Twitter the other day, is mm-hmm. keep an eye out for cars like On Thin Ice and Dead of Winter, just because if we're seeing such an emphasis of snow again, especially in modern, yeah. they might be really good budget sort of options to have. Because if you're running these snow duels, you've got On Thin Ice, that can help that. And you've got Dead of Winter, which is a really good sweeper. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some sort of like budget snow control deck coming out of this. That isn't scrapped. Maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, it could run Scred. You could do red-black Scred now, thanks to this dual land, I think, on related note. Yeah. Might have to brew it. Might have to get our brewing hats on. Mm, it's another card that I'm quite excited to try out. In particular in Scred, we were talking about this before we were recording, is Goldspan Dragon. So Goldspan Dragon mm. is a 5-mana 4-4, four, four. so you pay 3 generic and 2 red. You get a dragon. It has flying in haste. Whenever goldspan dragon attacks or becomes a target of a spell create a treasure token no it says any spell so you can target it as well and you get the treasure yeah also treasures you control have tap sacrifices artifact at two mana of any one color so this seems really really fun i'm quite excited for this because like in standard you always had like the mm-hmm. headline dragon so you had like your thundermore yep. hellkites you had your glory bringers you had your Thunderbreak regents that all did really, really well in the standard. And I can see the same here with Goldspan Dragon. You essentially get two mana back just from attacking, which means you can protect yeah. it. And mm-hmm. five mana for a 4-4 four, four Flower Haste is an incredibly good rate. Yeah, it is not bad at all. What I can see happening is maybe me trying this in Pioneer with my own cards that target it. For example, like Expedite. Yeah. I want to target this with Expedite because that makes a treasure. It draws a card off Expedite. And then the treasure taps for two mana. So it's actually a ritual that's just cantripped. Yeah. So it's better than Manamorphose, technically. <laughs> is that what we're saying? Goldspan Dragon's better than Manamorphose? Well, no, Expedite's better than Manamorphose. Oh, Goldspan Dragon is the reason. <laughs> well, maybe there could be like a... Because you have Feather and Pioneer. And don't get me wrong, Feather's quite mm. low to the ground and quite cheap. Maybe there's like a mid-range version with this and you just put the spells back into your hand and you just keep doing it and just have all this mana and do something with it i don't know what it might be a sideboard plan to turn it into some sort of like crazy combo deck i mean i'm up for that <laughs> it has enough spells Maybe. also if you play edh i expect this to be a staple in edh decks just for the double treasure ability and it pairs up well with stuff like smothering type and dockyard extortionist because they all generate treasure and it just allows you to do your thing quicker and um, so it's mm-hmm. definitely one to keep an eye out for also 
as I mentioned earlier, I'm really interested in trying this in Scred because one issue Scred always has is generating mana and this dragon allows you to generate more mana. So I'd be interested in trying to build with Sark and Fireblood, ramping into this and then attacking, getting some treasures, using those treasures for something. And if I have okay. leftover treasure, I can use Pier and Kirin Alar to throw the treasure at my opponent. It just seems like there's a lot there. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, we might have to keep an eye on Goldspan Dragon. I, I'd definitely play this over Glorybringer, I think, just within a scratch shell. Because sometimes you get Glorybringer as like a one of, two of. But this might be fun because you already have loads of artifacts anyway, so... Yeah, could be useful. I'll have to see how it goes. Next one, we have Search for Glory. It's not a definite guaranteed translation uh, because the card wasn't released in English yet. So the rough translation is it's two and a white for a snow sorcery. You search your library for a snow permanent card, a legendary card or a saga card. Reveal it, put it into your hand and then shuffle your library and you gain one life for each snow mana spent to cast this spell. Now, the spell is fine. But I have a reason for bringing this up, and I'm going to use Search for Glory as an example. And before I start off on this, yes, it's about talking about white and its slice in the color pie and what it needs to be doing. And no, please don't cancel me. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought I'd use this as an opportunity to actually just have a quick little explanation as to what I think white could be doing in the color pie to try and help improve its position. I know this seems like a very weird and potentially disingenuous segue into a completely different topic, but (laughs) I just want to say that I actually really, really like Tudors in white for being the card manipulation of that color. You know, card manipulation is super, super important for every single color. You know, like red has draws, you know, like they're fleeting, they're exile, and then you need to play them immediately or within the next turn and they're gone. Blue has card draw more than anything else where it's quantity over quality. We've all heard it. Like, people have been complaining that white doesn't draw enough cards, so there's no card drawn white and that kind of thing. And personally, this is my opinion on this, comparison to blue's card draw is a little bit inaccurate because it's one of the things that blue is absolutely best at alongside counter spells. You know, it'd be like comparing blue's removal to, say, Source of Plowshares or Path to Exile or something, you know. But rather than card quantity, like drawing loads and loads of cards like blue does, white should be focused more on card quality if that makes sense. So from a color perspective, blue wants to know everything, constantly seeking more information, constantly looking to progress and improve. But white doesn't feel like that to me. White feels a little bit more pointed. It almost like it doesn't care about getting loads of random cards. It would rather get specific pieces that it needs at that moment in time to crush you. That's what's important to white in in my eyes. (laughs) I feel like I have to keep reiterating that or I will get (laughs) cancelled. But the thing is, this is only one piece of the puzzle. Like, white still absolutely needs actually good cards to be able to go and tutor for and win games with. But this tutor is a great example of what I feel is a very nice spot for white to occupy in the whole card selection and card manipulation spectrum. I feel like this is just a nice little home for it. Like, imagine if you were building a new deck. You know, you were brewing a deck and you were like, well, okay, I need to improve the consistency of this deck. I'm going to add blue because I can add loads of cantrips and improve the consistency that way. But what if your deck doesn't want to run blue? You know, what if it's not very spell focused and you would rather tighten that into another type of consistency? What if you could go with white and go, I'm going to go with white because it gives me access to fantastic removal like Path to Exile or Wrath of God or whatever. And then I can also get tutors for all of my pieces to win the game. That to me feels like the kind of spot that I would want white to be in personally. Yeah. Again, please don't cancel me. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Rant over. 
So you're saying white is the galaxy brain of, of card selection over blue? Over selection, yes. I, I do think white could absolutely fit the bill of quality over quantity, mm. whereas I think blue could just occupy where it is now, which is definitely quantity over quality. Mm. So it kind of makes yeah. it kind of makes sense because a lot of white cars tend to be silver bullets as well in for particular mm. situations and against particular archetypes. And if you have the right tools to find them, then excellent. You know, I think I agree with you there. So yeah, don't cancel me either, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, again, we could be right or wrong in this. We ended up seeing busted white cards over the next couple of days because they did say that white is starting to turn around in Kaldheim. Mm. This is the facet where we will first start to see these kinds of things. And if we're seeing it in the form of new tutors like Search for Glory and we start seeing good stuff like this, I'm kind of into it. I'm not going to lie. Now, I'm not saying that this... Tutor itself is specifically is fantastic, but this would be fantastic if we get better cards to go along with it. I don't know. In in standard, it seems pretty good to get an Elspeth Conquers Death. That's not bad. Like, yes. In terms of standard, that seems pretty good because it gets you probably one of the best enchantments in the format. Also, Sagas mm-hmm. are back, which is great on a side note because Sagas oh, are a fantastic sagas. design and they should always be in Magic because they're great. They are really, really good. And if I'm not mistaken, you very unusually have an interest in one of the sagas in particular. And the reason I say unusually is because it's in my colours. Yes, it's an it card. We have Invasion of the Giants, which is an enchantment saga. So for a blue and a red, you get a saga. On the first chapter of the saga, you scry two. Seems mm. pretty normal, very blue thing to do. On chapter two, you draw a card, then you may reveal a giant card from your hand. When you do, Invasion of the Giants deals two damage to target opponent or planeswalker. Seems fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter three the next giant spell you cast this turn costs two less to cast um, it is an uncommon right. um, and it seems to be that the is it pairing falls into giants so giants is our is it colors how do you feel about that because they're not like wizards or anything like that well actually one or two of them are wizards but i think that's more down to the fact that they, it's leaning into support for the party mechanic more than anything yeah. else but I don't know how I feel about this. It's really weird. Like, I'm sitting here being like, come on, print some busted cheap blue spells, <laughs> cheap red spells, let's go, let's do some broken stuff. And then I'm seeing, like, make your giants cheaper and <laughs> play chonkers. And I'm like, is, is is green and blue flipping? Is that what's going on here? Like, Is there a colour crisis? <laughs> there's a colour crisis. What's going on? Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I like it. I like it in the in the fact that it's a breath of fresh air for the color pairing that yeah. I am used to. But I just don't know how they're going to pull it off in terms of having a cohesive sort of feel to it in this set. Now, obviously, we've only seen like 40% of the set or something at this point, if even. Like, I don't know. I, I, I really feel like I have to wait and see the rest of the set and then possibly a couple of sets coming up afterwards as well because they will undoubtedly add a little bit more support to be able to prop it up into like the standard or Pioneer, that kind of thing. Yeah, this set, as in Kaldheim, feels like the foundation towards the D&D set in the summer. Yeah. Because you have your giants, you've got your tribes, you've got things where subtyping matters. And it's kind of cool just to see like the foundations lay, and then when we hit June, July, September mm-hmm. time, when D&D set comes out, it's just like, oh yes, this is the end point. But I digress. I'm mm-hmm. a really big fan of this enchantment, because it seems really, really good with the best standard card at the moment, which is Brain Crusher Giant. You can play a one mana four yeah. three with a with a punisher effect, which just seems really, really good. Also, it kind of opens the door on the giants from Feros Beyond Death that a lot of us have forgotten about, like Freaks of the Sudden yeah. Storm, 
which is a five mana giant with flash that makes higher cost of spells uncountable. Yeah. It's like a really good win condition in control. And then you have tectonic giant that does stuff when it attacks as well. Mm. I just feel like there's there's like a really good foundation for like a giant's tribal deck with this card as the center of it, and you just run four of them. I think it could work. Yeah, weirdly as well. And this is going to seem strange, but I think that at least a couple of these might even fit in something like an is a tempo list. And the reason mm. that I say this is this does multiple things over multiple turns, and you could get yeah. this down early. So you could play this say on turn two and have a removal spell the following turn for whatever your opponent does, say like a stomp or something from a Bone Crusher Giant. And one of the things that the tempo decks have a problem with is it can run out of gas. Yeah. You know, or if it ends up on the back foot, it has a hard time clawing back up because it needs to be able to do multiple things while still holding up mana. Mm. And that's very, very difficult for the deck to do. This kind of helps you do that. You know, and one of the things when I played as a tempo in standard for a while, one of the problems I had was there were very few good opportunities for me to play the creature side of Bone Crusher Giant because I didn't want to pay three mana and mm. tap out on that turn. Uh, to play like a bone crusher or not leave up enough mana for a counter spell to protect it or something whereas with this you, like i said you could play this on turn two and then turn three comes around you draw a card and you can reveal said bone crusher from your hand and then stomp something and then the next turn it's going to cost you one red to get a threat out and then yeah. you can easily hold up a counter to protect it that's pretty good it seems fine right yeah i mean like i do know that you still need to tap out for this in the first place which i'm not a fan of but i think it does just enough that if you have, say, like the four Bone Crusher Giants and maybe one or two others that might show up over the rest of this set, then, yeah, I could see it show up in something like that. I know it seems a bit odd it's, and not very typical, but, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we get any cheaper Giants or any Giants that discount other Giants. Yeah. Because it might be a case where it just becomes like a control deck almost. You're just playing Is It Control, then you're playing these Giants as like as a win condition, as like the top end. Uh, and you have stuff like Stomp. It's just re- mm-hmm. it's just hard removal. I, I'm not going to like the idea of is it giant control? Sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. it? But there's a couple of giants in Eldraine if you want to go like Jesko because you have like Realm, the Realm Cloak Giant, the one that board wipes, yeah. the white one. But yeah, I, I'm quite excited on the card because I really like cheap, like lower rarity cards that have a fun build around. Mm-hmm. I'd be really tempted to build like a, like a is it giants style deck to not play because we're in lockdown, but it'd be fun to mm-hmm. play around. Yeah. Actually, speaking of brewing around, I've got another one I added to the list here. Again, another unofficial translation is Unshared Triumph. It may not end up being that actual name, but this is what Scryfall has put down. But it is one and a white for an enchantment that reads, As Unshared Triumph enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type, and creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one plus one. So this is pretty good. In yeah. my opinion, this is not really broken or anything, but I think on a very nice power level in terms of this kind of effect, because yeah. it's two mana, you can't just bolt it and kill it. If there are some tribes that might be able to take advantage of this, say like maybe humans in maybe standard or pioneer or even knights or vampires or something like that, well, I think it could fit in a number of places. Well, the thing is, you have Changeling in Kaldheim, so... Mm. This could be quite good, especially if there's some like good white or black changelings to go with humans or the warriors. Yes. Might be really, really good. And also, it's worth noting that we've not had a two mana enchantment anthem for quite some time, as far as mm. I'm aware. The closest we had was Radiant Destiny back in Ixalan, which was a three mana one that had Ascend mm. and did some other bits. But the fact that this is two mana and you, the downside is choosing the tribe in a tribal set seems pretty good to me. Yeah. 
definitely now, have to keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. I think there are a number of places that this can fit. Remember that budget mono white tokens list that you had for modern? Yes. There might be a way to tweak the the numbers of the different kinds of like token makers and make specific tokens so that this might actually be an additional anthem effect possibly yeah because you, you have spectral possession and you have lingering mm. soul so i just think you just align it into a spirits list like spirit tokens maybe that sounds cool could work and then you still have venerated loxodon at your top end because i'm not getting rid of my boy <laughs> So we've got one or two other cards that we're not going to go into huge detail on, I don't think. They're interesting and they're cool. And they're going to show up in different places, I think. You've got one here, Emma. It's a, a green changeling to drop. It is. I believe you're quite excited for this one for Pauper. Um, mm. So this is a two-mana creature, which is a shapeshifter. Uh, it is a 1-3. When Mask Vandal, name of the card, enters the battlefield, you may exile the creature card from your graveyard. If you do... Exile target artifact or enchantment that opponent controls. And that is on a common. I'm just going to yep. put that out there. That is, this is a very, very powerful common. Um, yeah. I don't expect to see much playing like Pioneer or Modern, for example. Then Pauper, it seems to be pretty good, especially in like the Black Green Tortured Existence Sacrifice decks, where you're just mm-hmm. filling up your yard anyway. And also, it's worth noting, it does Exile Fall from Favor, which is a bloody nuisance in Pauper at the moment. Yes, there are a number of reasons why you would want to run this in particularly the Tortured Existence decks because, like you said, you're you're just filling the graveyard. Like, your graveyard is essentially your hand in that mm. deck. If anyone hasn't played it before, it's essentially dredge control. That's the best way of putting it. It's just dredge control. But, yeah, you want to just play creatures and sacrifice them and discard them to Tortured Existence to return other ones to your hand to just loop them and do all sorts of silly, dirty stuff. But... Up until now, Wickerbow Elder was the artifact and enchantment removal of choice, and that's still only destroyed, and that cost five mana to destroy your first piece. This is so much more efficient. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I think a lot of people got thrown off by the changeling part and started looking at like, oh, we could put this in elves and we could put this in slivers and so on and so forth. And that's all fine, but you need to get a creature into the graveyard in the first place and they're not very good at doing that. You have to rely on your opponent removing one of them and uh, no, no, too much work, too much work. But this is fantastic and a huge upgrade over Wicked Builder because the one thing, and the reason I know so much about this is I used to play Tortured Existence a lot, is... The one thing that that deck struggles with is mana production. It absolutely never has enough mana. And paying five to destroy an artifact or enchantment was so much. This is knocking three off of it. That's incredible. It just it just seems a good card to have in those sort of decks. Especially when you have like Fleshbag Roarder and stuff as well, which are now common. It just, it just seems to yeah. all line up well. <laughs> it does, absolutely. One of the other things that it's very, very good at dealing with is Bonder's Ornament, yes, which is basically in every single deck at this point in time. Super expensive. So <laughs> it's really expensive on Magic Online because yeah. it was only in the Commander sets. Uh, mm. So therefore it was only in the Treasure Chests, I believe. Yes. So yeah, yeah, very, very expensive. Also deals with literally any card in Affinity, but also more particularly it exiles Darksteel Citadel, which mm. post-board they lean on very, very heavily because all their other lands are artifacts, so they can very easily just get destroyed by like an Ancient Grudge or an Abrade or something, whereas this exiles it. Mm. Don't care that it's indestructible, buddy. Get rid of that <laughs> land, please. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that feels pretty good. Next one, we have one that you are very, very, very excited about. <laughs> 
yeah, this card is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the card I'm talking about is Raven Form. So if you haven't seen it, Raven Form is two and a blue for a sorcery. Exile target artifact or creature. Its controller creates a 1-1 blue bird creature token with flying. And it has foretell blue. Now we haven't actually talked about foretell in any kind of depth so far. So I'll explain it now. So essentially during your turn you may pay two generic mana and exile this card from your hand face down. And you cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. So... To clarify a couple of little things that people have been asking about on this, this is kind of like Morph. It's basically like a special action. I don't think it uses the stack, though you might want to just double check with like Mac Tayback or the, the rules documentation once the set comes out. And it's face down, so it's kind of like a trap card from Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. It's like I play, I play this card face down and I end my turn because you have to actually play it on your turn mm. and then it still ad- adheres to all the other timing restrictions on the card. So, for example, on this, it's a sorcery, so you can only play it at any time that you can play a sorcery. Mm. But what's incredible about this is that this is three mana sorcery for an exile effect yeah. in blue. Now, we've already seen stuff that exiles in blue like Reality Shift for example. Blue is very, very adept, and I, I saw a lot of people complaining about Raven Form, and I'm here to try and sort of quell some of that. Blue excels at manipulation of zones. Okay, I don't think a lot of people sort of realize this, but like you look at different things. You look at bounce spells. They move something from the battlefield to your hand. That's moving zone. Hmm. Even with like some looting effects, say like Charter Course, you're moving yeah. cards from zones. All that blue does, if you look at every single card, you can boil it down to all the blue does is it moves things around zones. Like flicker effects. You move something into exile and you move it back out of exile. Like that's all it does. And this is exactly what Raven Form is doing. It's exiling. If this said destroy, I would have a problem with it. Hmm. Because destroy, while it is moving zone, it's not a zone move that blue normally does. You know, I know there's like Pongify and that kind of thing, but I think it fits perfectly fine. But it's also essentially a replacement effect in a way. Like it replaces your creature or artifact with a bird. Mm. The main point of contention here is the fact that it targets an artifact. Yes. That's what a lot of people are having a problem with. It's a single card in all of blue that can do it. Really? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, th- yeah, I believe so. Wow. Yeah. But technically, stuff like Boomerang have essentially done the same thing because it's target permanent. Yeah, like know? Capsize is another good example. It's yeah. the same thing. Quote unquote the same thing. It moves it from one zone to another. Yeah. It's not an exile zone that those things are being moved to, but it's still a zone move. You know, mm. the reason that I really like Raven Form, and I'm actually getting to my point now. The reason that I actually like Raven Form so much is that in Pauper, because this is a common in Pauper, Mono Blue decks, for example, will now have access to essentially hard removal. You know, like they won't really care too much about a one-one bird token with flying. Because they'll have a bunch of other flyers that will just go around it and go Mm. bigger than it. I really, really like this. But the place where I think I like this the most is in formats that have Chalice of the Void. So Monobletron. (laughs) Monobletron, but also Twiddlestorm. Because you can foretell this on turn two and be like, whatever. And then on turn Mm. three, you can have your stuff set up to cast this off foretell to get rid of the chalice and then start going off and doing stuff, you know? Yeah, because you, cause you're foretelling this for one. So if they do it mm-hmm. on chalice on one, it still gets around it because the spell is actually free mana. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, that's a good point. It does attack chalice of the void really, really well. Um, yeah. Monobly Tron's big, like on a side note, Monobly Tron's doing really well because it has the thieving skydiver, liquid metal coating stuff going on. And it's really, really neat with Khan. Yeah. 
It's just like yeah. stealing lands. It's awesome. Just on a side note. Yeah, I personally haven't been doing that. I feel like it's a little bit mm. not super fun, but it is absolutely a thing you could do, 100%, and it is pretty reasonable. But this is really good. I will be trying this in Mono Blue Tron because, you know, foretelling and then using a blue later, even if you don't get Tron or whatever at any kind of reasonable speed, it's still fine, you know. But if you have Tron and you're just looking to remove stuff, like if you're facing down like a Titan or something and you're like three mana, get rid of it forever yeah. you know that one one bird token is an absolute joke in comparison like it does not matter basically yeah. you know the reason that we didn't see stuff like reality shift showing up is because a 2-2 can actually do some reasonable damage over time it takes literally twice as many turns for the one one bird token to do the same thing yeah it's like skyclave apparition yeah. it's a similar a similar thing basically yep i think yeah. this is very very good it's going to show up in a lot of formats would you say for people to pick them up oh yeah definitely but the thing is like I, I don't expect this to be expensive at all though no. at any point because it's a common in a brand new set like we're gonna see these lying around the floor of lgs's when we eventually <laughs> can get back to them you know i'm gonna yeah. pick up four on the basis just a unique effect it's like feed the swarm all over again Honestly, I'm probably going to need up to eight for all of my pauper decks, and then I'm going to buy a playset for Modern as well to spread across both and Lutron and Twiddlestorm. So. Fair. It's a free playset. <laughs> I might get a fourth, just to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just overly hyped about this card because I just think I'm it's... I'm quite like, excited like, about it because I completely forgot the Chalice of the Void interaction. That just seems really important in blue. Yeah. It's, if this was instant, I would be like, this card is too good. I, I honestly think this should be an uncommon anyway, but, like, I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. And lastly, mm-hmm. we have another Fatal card in blue. Granted, it's not as powerful as the previous one, but it's still quite good. Um, so we have Behold the Multiverse, which is a four-mana instant. So for a free generic and a blue, uh, you scry two and draw two cards. And the Fatal cost is one generic and blue. I actually think this is quite good, and I expect to see it crop up in pauper a little bit, just because you can cash two mana in and then cast it on the next turn and it's an instant so you can play it at any time with the fatale mm-hmm. cost i'm not sure where it's going to land in pauper because i just think it's really really neat but i wouldn't be surprised if it was like going to crop up in some like controlled decks somewhere yeah it's just a meaningful way to sift through yes i actually also covered this in my article this week <laughs> so if you want to have more in in-depth look into it but Essentially, the the whole general gist of it was that we have a lot of really good, powerful blue ways to draw cards, as it is. Mm. You know, for a long time, people were playing around with Of One Mind and Accumulated Knowledge, and before it got banned, it was Gush, and now it's Frantic Inventory, and Ninja of the Deep Hours is obviously a staple of the format. The reason that I think this sort of treads a line is Mm. because it is both better and worse than all of those options. It's better in the sense that, like I said, what it needs to face at the moment is Frantic Inventory. You need to be better than Frantic Inventory in order to see play. And in some ways, it is, because you don't need to find a second copy for it to start being decent. Mm. You just use itself. But it's also more expensive. But you can also pay for it over multiple turns. So, like, I can definitely see this showing up at the very, very least in Teachings decks. So you can go Mm. tutor for it. Because it's Glimmer of Genius. Like, let's call a spade a spade. Just because energy isn't on it doesn't mean this is not essentially just Glimmer of Genius. And Glimmer of Genius is a very good card. For a while, it was showing up in Modern. Yes. You know, and I honestly actually also think that this could show up in Control Decks in Modern as well. 
I agree. Yeah. I, I genuinely think it can show up. Not even necessarily in budget ones, because we've seen stuff like Hieroglyphic Elimination show up before. We're seeing Factor Fiction as a couple copies of in Blue Eye Control decks. There's no reason why we can't see this. Because on turn four, for example, you can have this set up for Fortel already mm. and have Counterspell backup while still also getting your, on your end step, I'm going to scry two, draw two. And they're like, oh, well, what, you're tapped out, I'm going to do this thing. Now, you're not tapped out. You can hold up your Logic Knot or your Mana Leak or your whatever you're playing, your Remand, and it doesn't matter. You know, it just gives you more opportunities to be safe while playing your control deck. I think it definitely will show up. Oh, absolutely. Because especially in Azorius Control, there's always that fight for like the two flexi cards of what my what is my card draw spell. And you mentioned mm. the big two, like Glimmer Genius and Hieroglyphic Illumination. And to an extent, Factor Fiction cropped up. So mm-hmm. that, that just adds to the nice headache that these Azorius Control players are going to have because they have this variety. And I would be interested in trying this just because it just gives you more flexibility in what you want to do with your spells. You can still path that threat while still... Yeah. drawing all these cards yeah for sure all flesh in a snapcaster mage do whatever like you're you're so you've got so many options which is just what a control player wants yeah absolutely i think the way it'll show up in modern like i said in the likes of blue white control decks and stuff i think frantic inventory is going to remain the card draw spell of choice for the time being but as soon as graveyard hate becomes a little too much they might just make the change over that's kind of how I perceive it to be, because I think they would want to make sure that, you know, if Dredge or anything like that becomes particularly heinous at any given point, sometimes Blue White Control just runs like rip in the main and you want to make sure that your card draw isn't impacted by that. So swapping over to stuff like this will be a really good yeah. choice for then. But yeah, I still think Frantic Infantry is a little bit better, but I have high hopes for it anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah, so Emma, what are your overall thoughts for the set so far? given that we've only got about like two days of stuff to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm quite excited. It seems quite fun. It seems quite flavorful, which is mm. something I'm interested in. And nothing, as I mentioned earlier, like nothing seemingly busted or game warping or format warping. It just feels like a really well thought out set. Mm. I hope it continues that way. So it'd be nice to have a set that doesn't have any, you know, massive design issues or huge talking points that make people think of the set unfavorably mm. also like the the art and design of the set's really nice as well like i'm a big fan of the old art frames in this set they all yeah. look fantastic and it's kind of inspired me to start a bloodborne soulsborne edh deck because a lot <laughs> of them or what seems like references like some of the bosses in those games so i'm just like to make a like a soulsborne edh deck with all these cool frames and stuff yeah yeah i'm liking it i'm liking it like i said i like the cringy cheese kind of aesthetic of metal in general like i like that whole kind of thing and i like that they're not leaning too hard into it in the actual set design itself i like the way that they're sort of using that more as the more the marketing side of things you know rather than the actual physical set aesthetics but i still appreciate that it's there i do like that As for the alternate art and stuff, yeah, it all looks fantastic. The only thing that I'm not a huge fan of, but I'm sure it'll grow on me, is how the snow permanents look. Like, the frames look a little too whited out for me. Just a little. But, again, that could end up growing on me. Who knows? You know, that's just a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. I was like, why why has this got a green mana symbol, but it's a white card? What's going on? You know? Yeah, I suspect that's more of an arena thing than for a paper thing, but we'll see. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Yep. Yeah, so yeah. that was great. 
hopefully we can keep to this point next week when we record. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. So, Emma, do we have any Q&A this week? We do. We have our weekly tweet from Evie the Mage 97 who is a regular listener of the Good show. Stuff. He talks about pauper elves and how some of the, the Hallmark cards are quite affordable at the moment. Uh, Keely being priest of Titiana... Turns out the first printing is at least one dollar less than all the other printings. So the original printing is from Onslaught, whereas mm-hmm. the Commander pre-con versions are more expensive. So the Onslaught version is like two dollars on TCG Player, as an example. So if yes. you like that old border bling that some people seem to enjoy and you're looking to build pauper elves, this is a really good starting point. Same with Elvish Vanguard, which is also from Onslaught, which is about a dollar. And if you like the old border stuff... You know, you can have a really nice looking OG border Pauper Elves deck. Yeah, nice. Evie the Mage also asks, with all that in mind about Pauper Elves, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about finding budget bling for Pauper decks? Also, would you consider doing a deep dive into the format in the future? Um, Yeah, I mean, okay, well, in regards to budget bling for Pauper decks, I have a bit of a weird appreciation for Pauper bling because I have seen some decks that are far too expensive for the rarity that they are. So I've seen people bling out their pauper decks so that they have like, you know, like they've got the the Amonkhet Expedition. What are, what were they called? Uh, Amonkhet Invocation. Yeah, the Amonkhet Invocation Spell Pierce, for example. Just to have it, you know. And then like they, they get like the, the foil uh, snow basics from like Ice Age and stuff or whatever and you know, just going to town on the bling and the, the effect of it and stuff. And, like, that's great. I am not a fan of foils in general, but I really appreciate seeing these kind of decks and just going all out on such a, essentially, like, low-cost deck and just <laughs> yeah. take it, taking it. And, like, it just shows such a love for the format and the cards themselves. And I just really like it. I think it's really neat. You know, yeah. I don't think there needs to be any other justification behind other than they're really neat. Well, going, expanding further on the budget bling, which I'm sure we're going to do an episode about at some point, because I mm-hmm. think we need to. Even if you're not into foils, you still have like the extended art, full art stuff, which don't come in foil. So you mm-hmm. can still bling out your deck and not necessarily be foiled or curled or so forth. Yep. But yeah, like most of my Bogles deck in Pauper is pretty much foiled. I have no shame. Like, <laughs> I've got four Utopia Sprawls, which are very expensive right now, and I should probably get rid of them before they go back down. But that's a different <laughs> thing altogether. I can appreciate good good bling. Mm-hmm. Actually, would you, in your Pauper Bogles deck, would you be putting in some of these new Snow Jewels because they can have the Utopia Sprawl attached to them? Probably. So so with the Bogles Pauper deck, the lands are very, very... There's not a lot of flexi room because you want them to come in untapped. Mm. However, we do run a couple of the thriving lands. It's just another way to get better fixing. But yeah, I'd probably run like two of these in Pork Bogles. It's just as a way to, like you say, just put it on a Utopia Sport feels really good. But yeah, I'd be tempted to try it. It's not like I wouldn't run the whole four because yeah. that's terrible. But I can see myself running it like no more than two and I'd be happy mm. to try it out. And I run Snowlands in the deck anyway, so. And there you go. But for, for, for flavour. Because I used to play Astrolabe in, in uh, Bogles, then it got banned, so. We all used to play Astrolabe and everything. The fact the fact that Bogles <laughs> could play Astrolabe and call Sky Fisher kind of tells you how egregious that card was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty ridiculous card. I miss it, but it was ridiculous. Admittedly, it was terrible. I admit I enjoyed playing it. The one pauper event that I played it in and then went undefeated because I was the only Astrolabe player. But 
outside of that, it needed to go. Um, yeah. And answer to the, the second question, I'm sure we're up for doing some sort of pauper deep dives at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to do, say, like a deep dive episode on, you know, maybe the pillars of the format and mm. sort of a bit of the history of the format and sort of what to expect and what was kind of deemed playable and that kind of thing. And then after mm. that, go into some more niche archetypes in a second episode or something. Yeah, I would definitely good. be into something like that. Yeah. Opera is really neat. It is indeed. As is, hopefully, the rest of the set coming out. We'll mm. see now this week. And I guess we'll cover the rest of it in the following week. As of recording, we're like halfway through previews, so I suspect we'll do another Caldheim sort of deep dive. So Yeah, Caldheim part two. Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philip Delmach, The Jazz Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Stephanie Pace, Ian Holland, and The Pauper Guild. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Ryan Collins, and Nervlin. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.